I would invite your attention to Revelation chapter 1, and we shall take our cue on this Easter Lord's Day from the book from which we've been giving exposition. And I want to take a significant, a significant phrase and go back to something that clues us into a wonderful truth. This is perhaps the grandest of all of the holidays of the year. This is one holiday that is always on Sunday, the Lord's Day, because we're celebrating the risen Christ who came on the first day of the week. Some of you who ask, why do we not keep the Sabbath? This day is your answer. The Sabbath is a principle, and there's a principle of keeping one day for the Lord, and that principle for Christians has historically been on the first day of the week when we remember that Christ was resurrected. And that is why we worship today. Amen? Amen. In Revelation chapter 1, verse 18, we have our Revelation Easter theme. Well, begin with me in verse 17. When I saw him, John said, I fell at his feet as dead, but he laid his right hand on me. I think that is a striking passage. In John's vision, the eternal Christ laid his right hand on John, saying, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and of death. Now, early on in the Revelation, the Lord Jesus Christ must establish who he is. This book could not have been revealed from heaven if the Messiah or the Christ were dead and this were only an angel recounting an historical event. This revelation of God's victory over death, hell, the grave, the political system could not have been made by someone who was locked into time and time alone. So early on, Jesus must identify himself as being above time, the pre-existent one, nailed down to a certain date in Palestine in history, now alive and alive forever and outlasting everything materially because he is eternal. And only that kind of Messiah could have given us the book of Revelation. And he says, I have the keys of Hades, which is Sheol, the Greek translation of Sheol, and of death. Sheol is the place of departed spirits. In the New Testament, it is used both of the departed righteous and the departed unrighteous. And Sheol is evidently the holding place. When the Bible says that Christ descended into prison, he went into Sheol to release those in the place of the unrighteous dead who were dying looking forward to the cross. And he announced or proclaimed charigma that the cross was done. So this phrase sets the glorified Christ in history 
and the temporary Christ in eternity. I am alive, I am he who lives and was dead. And here is his Easter declaration, behold, I am alive forevermore and I have the keys of Hades and of death. Now notice what Jesus does. He identifies himself. He identifies who he is. And then he identifies the most significant thing about his nature if he's going to give a vision of the revelation. And that is, I have the keys of death and hell. I have the keys of Sheol and death. So he identifies his nature and he identifies his person. And he identifies his nature by saying, I have the keys of Hades and of death. Now, keys are very important. They, they signify two things. Keys always signify status. You know, if you're lost in a strange city, let me give you a hint. Always go to the first funeral home you can find. The funeral home knows more about the streets of the city and the people of the city than anyone else I know. Don't go to the physician. He only knows about his patients. Don't go to the tax collector. Don't, listen, if you want to know about a city, you want to know where something is or who somebody is, always go to the funeral directors because death touches everyone in that city and they know everything about that town. I suppose you always wonder what preachers do when they ride in that lead car with the funeral director going from the church to the cemetery. Did you ever wonder what we talk about? You know what we talk about? You'd be amazed. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you. But I get more information about what's going on in this city. They know it all because death touches every single family in that city. So first, keys always symbolize status, power. Just as you go into a city and you want to have information, you go to the funeral home. When I go into a large building, I always look around on the first floor. I look for somebody who's got a great big wad of keys on one of those little hooks hanging over his belt. And I go to the man with the keys. How many of you carry a bunch of keys like that? How many of you carry keys like that? I hate keys. Now, now, John, when he was a little boy, he loved keys. We got a collection of 498 keys. He used to carry around this huge ring because to him, to a little child, he had seen people in the building who had keys, and to him, that meant what? That meant status. That's a big shot. He's got a set of keys. He's got the key. Now, I, I tell our staff, look, I don't want to... Tony, uh... Are we all right? Okay. You didn't get paid last week, did you? <laughs> now, I tell our staff, I, I, don't, uh, I don't want a lot of keys. I say, make me one key that will get me any place in this building. I don't want a bunch of keys because to me, I'm not trying to impress anybody. Just give me one key. That's all I want. And that, see that key right there? That's called a GGGGM4. That means great grand... What does that mean? Do you know what that means, Larry? Something. But anyway, it's a great grandmaster. I think that's what they did. I want one key. But a key symbolizes status. And when Jesus announces, I am the key, I have the keys of Sheol and of death, he is establishing his status. But the second thing, key always gives you access. 
A key gives you access to the, the, the contents. It gives you control. Now, now, you think about this. On this glad Easter morning, we're coming back to think about John, who was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day, on an island four miles wide and ten miles long, all rock, no hardies, no KFC, nothing but rock and the sea all around him. And Jesus said, John, here I am. And he laid his hand on his shoulder, his right hand. And he said, I was dead, but I'm alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and hell. Now he is establishing control over this world. I have the keys of death and Hades. I control this world. I have access to the contents of hell and death and every grave. I have the key. Now, Jesus told us in John that Satan is the prince of the power of this world. Now, now listen to this logic very carefully. But he is the prince of this world in one basic way. He is not in charge of the law of gravity. Christ is in charge. By him, Paul said, all things consist. Satan is the prince of the power of this world, but he holds that power in one sphere of life and only one, basically, but it permeates everything we do. Satan is the prince of the power of this world, but he is not omniscient and he is not omnipotent. God has given him one sphere. It's like a Kroger manager who is sovereign over his store, but he gives one person charge over the produce and all the produce in that store is under the control of one person. God has allowed Satan to have control over one thing. Here's, here's what it is. It's control over death. And through death, Satan rules this world. Now I'm going to show you four ways he does that, basically. There are four ways, and every one of them is unlocked by Christ's key to Sheol and death. It's fascinating to me. Because, you see, whoever controls death controls life. Whoever controls death controls life. And if Christ controls Satan, he controls death. And if Christ controls death... He controls life. And that is why we can announce alongside the Lord Jesus Christ, I was dead, but I am alive forevermore. And behold, I have the key, the last say about death and Sheol. So there are four ways that Satan controls this world. Here they are. First, he controls the world by bondage through fear of death. Turn to Hebrews chapter 2. Now watch how this unfolds in the scripture. Turn to Hebrews chapter 2. And this is the declaration about Jesus' resurrection and death. Hebrews 2, 14. Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same flesh and blood. Christ came in flesh and blood. That through death, he might destroy him who had the what of death. What is it? The power of death. That is the devil. And release those 
who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage to him who controlled death through the lifetime. So that the great apostle says in writing this, that when Jesus Christ shared in flesh and blood and died and was buried and then marvelously raised, now listen, he freed us from bondage to death, to serving death. All of our lifetime, we fear death. It is one of the ways that Satan controls this world. Now, if you don't believe that, you just be around death a little bit and watch how people don't like to talk about it. Now, now let's not talk about it in front of the children because they won't understand. Now, people are gradually coming out of that. But see, fear of death is why Elizabeth Keebler-Ross said, we go through five stages after death, the death of a loved one, or in the case of a traumatic sickness. And those stages are first denial and then anger, and then bargaining. We want to bargain, don't we? And then we go through depression, and then finally acceptance. Now, I wish I could tell you that acceptance of death is the province only of the firmly committed believer to the Lord Jesus Christ. Some people practice acquiescence. The true Christian who understands Jesus went into that tomb and came out alive, that Christian can practice full acceptance of death with hope, and that does make a difference. And so we're afraid of death. We fear death. And one of the ways that Satan controls us, we do everything we can to stay alive, don't we? We teach our children to survive. We teach, out, we teach each other how to survive. If you do that, you'll live longer. Listen, I, since, since my heart attack, and I've been in, in all these nutrition programs and all these cardiac care programs, there's not a week goes by that I don't get uh, an offer for a, a subscription to Remedy or Living Forever or how to get healed with herbal tea with a fungus in it or... Um, I got enough fungus among us that I don't need to buy any more. But uh, I, all, every week I get another offer for a subscription to a magazine that will, for just a few cents, relieve me from the fear of death and I'll live forever. But the Bible says the cure for death is a relationship with Jesus Christ who has the keys to the bondage of death and has released us from the fear of death. I don't need to be afraid of it anymore. Let me live every moment God has for me, but I do not need to be afraid. And everyone who names the, Je the name of Jesus Christ, let him stand up and declare, I do not have to fear death. Christ has destroyed death and he has destroyed the devil and he has guaranteed that he is finished and done. That is why Paul can say, Oh, death, where is thy sting? Oh, grave, where is thy victory? Because Christ has taken it away. He has destroyed the one who controlled death by coming out of the grave. So the first way Satan exercises his power in this world is bondage through fear of death. 
The second way is bondage through deception about death. Bondage through deception. Now go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and look at this phrase one more time. Actually, this is a quote from pagan philosophers, but it was also uh, a well-known phrase in Solomon's own day. Because the phrase crops up in the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 8. It is 1 Corinthians 15, 32. If in the manner of men I have fought with beasts at Ephesus, what advantage is it to me? If the dead do not rise, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we, what? Die. There it is. Satan deceives us into thinking that we might die and we've missed something out there in life. We've missed something very significant. And since there may not be anything beyond death, why don't you just live it up and enjoy life and do whatever you want to do, throw off the shackles of restraint, show off, throw off the, the shackles of uh, prohibition and eat and drink and be merry because tomorrow you're going to die anyway. And it's that deception about death that deceives many people. Did you know that most midlife crises come about because of this right here? A man told me, I've been married forever to this woman, 11 years, and I'm afraid that I've missed something better and I've got to get shed of her so I can find out what it is I missed because I won't live forever. If I've heard that once, I've heard that a thousand times. I absolutely guarantee it. That I'm going to miss something. And because I might miss something, I've got to get out of the situation I'm in because I'm going to die one day. And wouldn't it be horrible if I died and this is as good as it got? Folks, this is it. This is it. And it can be just as good as you want to make it if you just put your life in God's hands. Satan is the prince of this world. By death, he controls our behavior and he causes us to do foolish things which we regret for many years because of the philosophy, eat, drink, and be merry. Go ahead and enjoy it now. Grab all the gusto you can get. This is as good as it gets. If that's as good as it gets in a little aluminum can, with frost running down the side, I don't care how good it looks. If that's as good as it gets, somebody doesn't know the God that I know who said I have the keys of death and hell and therefore the key of life. Amen? You'd be surprised how much of our behavior is fear that we're going to miss something. Why do you think people run frenetically all over the country? Some of you have been to the Grand Canyon. You've seen Mount, Ru Mount Rushmore. You've been to New York. You've been to, to Europe, but you've never been to the Tryon Palace. You're afraid you're going to miss something, and you've got to grab it while you can. You know, there are people who retire and take their retirement money, and they just hit the road. And they stay on the road the whole time and three years later they've done, they, they've worn themselves out from exhaustion trying to find what it was they missed in all those years they were working. Do not be deceived, Paul said. There's a great deception. Satan, the prince of the power of the air, holds. Easter frees us from that. Folks, I don't care 
If it doesn't get any better than just what it is right now, I'm content. If this is what God wants, I want to learn to be content with what God has given me. With a wife of my youth, with a house of my debt, <laughs> with a car he's given me to drive, I, 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 I'm, I'm, not, I'm not wanting to live the rest of my life thinking, oh, I missed something. Because you can't live everywhere. You can't experience everything anyway. And the quality of your experience is gauged by your relationship to Jesus Christ who said, behold, I was dead and I'm alive forevermore and I have the keys to Sheol and to death. Aren't you glad you're a Christian? Aren't you glad that you can get up this morning without a hangover? Most of us. Some of you got a sunrise hangover. <laughs> Uh, aren't you glad that you can say on this Easter morning, Christ is my Savior, my eternal Savior, and I do not fear what I don't know because my life is in the hands of the one who does know. Do you understand what I'm saying? Bondage through deception. The third way Satan controls us is bondage through discouragement. And the discouragement is related to death and life. I want to show you this in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Paul raises a most interesting question when in the defense of his apostleship and the defense of his actions, he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 8, we do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, of our trouble which came to us in Asia. Now, I don't want to boast and tell you how bad things are for me, but I don't want you to be ignorant at the same time. We were burdened beyond measure, above strength, so that we despaired even of life. Paul said, my burden was so great, I couldn't handle it by myself, and I was ready to die. Yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God, and finish the phrase, in God who what? Who raises the dead. <laughs> now you see the relationship of death to discouragement? Paul said, I was weighted down by, by, by my burdens. I had a burden on me that I could not carry. It felt like I had the sentence of death in myself and I could not carry it. But then he said, I realized we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who has resurrection power, who delivered us from so great a death and does deliver us, in whom we trust that he will still deliver us. You also helping together in prayer for us that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the gift granted to us through many. Don't minimize your prayer, support Corinthians. But the fact is, my way out of discouragement always comes by understanding it's not my strength I have to live in. It is God's strength. And if God can raise up Jesus from the dead and God can raise me from the dead, then I don't have to carry this burden all by myself. And Satan tries to make you feel like it's not worth the load you're carrying. You're going to die anyway. You might as well give up. And that's his power of discouragement through death. That's the way he does it. Now, you look at me. Every housewife in this church building look at me. You, most of you, 99.8% of you, 
have said at one time or another in your life, the load of this home is so heavy, I don't know if I can carry the load. Do you remember when all the children were small and you had nine loads of diapers a day? They didn't have diaper service in those days. You know, it's really changed. Raising a baby today has changed, hasn't it? I mean, with all the things they have. I watch when our children were home this week. Boy, I'd hate to be our garbage man on Thursday. <laughs> those pampers sit there all week long in the hot sun. Mm. Tell our garbage man, if he can, take a sick day on Thursday. But I can remember when the greatest gift somebody gave us was somebody gave us a month's diaper service free and we had clean cloth, non-throwaway diapers every week for a month. And I thought we were the richest family on the block having clean diapers. We didn't even know about pampers. Did they have them in those days? But you know, it's easy to get depressed and discouraged when your burdens are heavy and the family demands are great. And Paul says, listen, I don't want you to be ignorant about that. I had trouble. I was burdened beyond measure. This is the way Satan discourages Christians. That's why there aren't four services here today because we can't even find half of the people whose names are on our membership because they got discouraged. They didn't understand the load they were carrying. They didn't know the truth. Jesus says, I have the keys of death and life. I have the keys. I have the power to raise you up even when you feel like you've got the sentence of death. It is resurrection power that keeps me going. It is not fear of death, but it is the joy that one day there's something beyond this that keeps me going when I want to throw it all in and say, give up. Listen, listen, the key to, to discouragement is the resurrected Christ. Knowing that there's hope beyond death, that this is not all there is. Paul says, if God can raise the dead in Christ and God can raise me, then I do not have to be in bondage to my discouragement. And that's the way Satan controls this world. There's a fourth way that Satan controls this world. It is bondage through the past. And flip over here to Colossians chapter 2 and note Paul's reference to this in this great chapter again. As I speed read the New Testament some time ago, I was remarkably impressed with how many times Paul builds truth for the Christian life on the resurrection. And he does that in verse 11. In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Now look at verse 12. Buried with him in baptism. That's what baptism is about. It's a picture of our death with Christ. But it's also a picture of our resurrection in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him having forgiven you all trespasses. Now there, Paul links two serious matters for the Christian. Because I am resurrected with Christ and Christ is alive and he has the keys to Hades and death, I am forgiven 
I am forgiven all my trespasses, verse 13. All the handwriting of requirements of the law is wiped out against me. It was contrary to me. It fought with me. It made me feel guilty. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross, having disarmed principalities and powers. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. This is bondage through the past. The fourth way Satan controls us is by reminding us of our past sins. And the Bible says that because we're made alive with him, and this is Resurrection Sunday, all of our trespasses are forgiven, verse 13. He's wiped out the handwriting, the bill, the charges against us. He has nailed our sins to the cross, marked forgiven. And he has disarmed principalities and powers. Now, who do you think that speaks of? <laughs> That's the devil. You know, the Roman general, when he would capture a, an army and a general, he would have a parade. And he would lead him with his hands tied, humiliated, through the province that was formerly served by that conquered general. And he would march him on a parade so that all could see he was a defeated power. Do you know what I believe that means? I believe that because Christ is living and is alive, he has defeated Satan's power to judge us, condemn us, remind us of the past. All of our sins have been nailed to the cross. All of my past has been nailed. It has all been covered by the blood. And he has taken Satan and dragged him all through heaven and shown the angels and said, look at here, I've defeated him. He's done. He's through. He's finished. Because Jesus said, I have the keys of Hades and death. I've got the key. <laughs> well, whether it's defeat that Satan uses your past, whether it's despair, whether it's distress, I want to tell you, everything about Satan leads to death and everything about Christ leads to life. And that's ipso facto evidence, if you please, that Satan's power over us is the power to make us feel guilty when we've been forgiven. It's the power to discourage us. It's the power to destroy us. It's the power to remind us of our past. When Christ says, I have the keys of hell and death, he is saying, here is victory. That's what he's saying over the past. And that is why the Apostle Paul, hold your hand here and go back to 2 Corinthians. That is why the Apostle Paul, fleshing out this principle in a little bit more detail in chapter 7, says in verses 9 and 10, and this is very critical. Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. See, he chastised the Corinthians in the first letter. And they had changed. You were made sorry in a godly manner that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. Now watch this statement. For godly sorrow produces repentance to salvation, not to be regretted. But the sorrow of the world, which produces no repentance, only remorse, produces death. And by reminding us of our past, and reminding us of our sins, and reminding us of our failures in the past, Satan keeps us in bondage. But the fact that Christ is alive proves that he has the power to forgive us, 
that he has nailed our sentence to the cross and he has paraded through heaven with the devil on chains. And he's saying in the book of Revelation, it's all finished. It's all done. Satan, you are done. You are through. You are finished. Now, the question is, how do we apply the resurrection in our lives? And the answer is, through our identification with Christ and our growth with Christ, we are out from under the fear of the past, the bondage that we're going to die unforgiven. Because of the resurrection, we shall not die unforgiven. Because of the resurrection, we don't have to live in discouragement. And because of the resurrection, Christ is alive. We don't have to live in deception. And we don't have to live in fear of death. And that's really why we're here celebrating today. Perhaps we trivialize Easter by the symbol becoming more important than the essence. And we get wrapped up in symbols. The truth is Jesus is alive and it does affect our lives. If Christ were not alive, none of these four victories over Satan would be ours. And we would live hopelessly like Cicero and Plato or Socrates. We would live hopelessly in fear of death and in fear of deception, in fear of discouragement and in bondage to Satan because of our past, which he uses to beat us and produce death in us. And if you're in bondage to your mistakes, if you're in bondage to your past, if you're in bondage to your sin, rise up this morning on this glad Easter day and say, oh no, Christ is alive and he's made a spectacle out of the devil. My past is forgiven, never to be raised again. I don't have to live in discouragement. I don't have to fear death. I don't have to be deceived by death. I can stare it straight in the eye. A neighbor on our street has a tree with those little wing-like pods. And there's a little seed in that pod. And my grandchildren have been with me up through yesterday noon or so. And the kids will go down there and they collect all those little pods. What kind of a tree is that anyway? It's a maple? It's a a different kind? It's a soft maple, is it? Is that what it is? Okay. Because I got one maple that these don't come from. And they would take a handful and they would say to their little brothers and sisters, you want to see helicopters? And then they would throw them high in the air and... Those pods would twirl. Have you ever done that? How many of you have ever done that? It's a lot of fun, isn't it? They twirl around and come down looking just like a helicopter going around. And those little kids are standing there, wow, helicopters. And then they'd run, get another handful and throw them up in the air. And down they would come like helicopters. Wow. Then they wanted to try it, but they couldn't get them high enough to get the wings gyrating or rotating or whatever. Now, those pods are not helicopters for little kids to play with. They got a seed in them. There's life. But the children have a good time with them, and it's all right, but they, if you look at the purpose of the pods, they've been trivialized. Purpose is not helicopters. Purpose is life. And sometimes I think we've done that as the body of Christ with Easter. We've trivialized it. We've, we've 
see the symbol without the essence. It does make a difference whether Jesus Christ is raised. Because if he's raised, I'm no longer in fear of death. And if he's raised, I no longer have to be deceived and think that, boy, I've got to get out of whatever situation I'm in and get somewhere else or I'm going to miss it before I die. Because whatever else God has got me for me beyond death is so much better than this. It doesn't make any difference. Amen? And I don't have to be discouraged and live as if the weight of the whole world is on me. And I don't have to be in bondage to my past and think that there's no hope. That I'm stuck where I am. And I'll never be any good. And I'll never do any better. And I'll never grow. Thank God, because Christ is alive. None of us, if God tarries, will be the same next year we are this year. Because he is risen. Jesus said, I am he who is dead and is alive forevermore. And behold, I have the keys of hell and death. And I just rejoice. And I want to rejoice with my life every day. Amen and amen.